and welcome into Poke the Bear, episode 178, presented by CLNS Media and sponsored by our good friends over at FanDuel. My name is Connor Ryan, and once again, we are joined by 98.5 The Sports Hubs, Ty Anderson. Ty, how you doing? What's going on? How we how we doing today? I'm doing swell, Ty. I'm doing great. Um, obviously, by the time this podcast drops, the Bruins will have already played the Sabres, so we're not going to focus too much on that. Uh, instead, we're going to go big picture with this one because, as has been the case, it seems like every single year for the Bruins, their schedule to start the year is brutal. We have like one game every, I think, three weeks, uh, not a lot of in-between, and then we get to March, and instead of getting ready for the playoffs, the Bruins, like most other teams, are ground into dust because they're playing about uh, 21 games in 23 days. It's not great. I hate it. I hate yeah, it. No. I they got the day-night the, uh, the day doubleheader. Uh, mm-hmm. in March as, as is tradition. Yes. Uh, it's good for the, good, good for the, uh, bull game. You don't have to change over the ice. It's just into the ice again. Um, that's true. I, I hate it. It used to be a thing because of the circus being in town. Uh, I think circuses are now illegal. I want to say I haven't I, seen I a believe so. in years. So why is this? Why do we deal with this? I don't, I don't know. I, I can't tell you. Yeah. I feel like circuses now it's kind of like if you go in there, you're like, you pay in cash, like people look around and they let you in the tent. Like it's, it's a, kind yeah. of a more of a covert operation. Yeah. The, days it, of, the days of Barnum and Bailey are, are long gone. It's Jurassic park too. It's you exactly. got big game hunters and, and whatnot. And it you got Peter Ludlow, that. Peter Ludlow and like a nice, <laughs> like John Phillips suit leading the way. It's like, Oh, they're supposed to have a colorful outfit. No, it's, it's just a, a rich British man trying to steal a T-Rex. That's right. That's right. I, I, I wish. I wish there was a dinosaur. As a circus. Anyway, we're getting off topic here. We're getting. We're, let's get back on track. Let's look big picture with the Boston Bruins right now. Um, and I think we'll start off this podcast looking more at what have been the biggest surprises this year. I think you and I uh, both agreed that this team was going to be very competitive. I think we both said second or third in the Atlantic going into the year, I want to say, or somewhere in that picture. Yeah, I had, them, uh, I had them second behind the Leafs, which is not looking so hot right now. One exactly. of those is not looking so hot right yes, now. Yes, exactly. Uh, but again, we both thought they were going to be very good, but I don't know if you were expecting them to be, you know, only have one regulation loss so far this year, at least based on whatever happens with Buffalo. But they're really damn good. Uh, a lot of guys have really kind of pulled their weight, uh, impressed out of the gate. So uh, leading off this podcast, Ty, let's kind of go through a couple of uh, players or developments with this team that have been kind of the biggest surprises so far. So, I mean, for you, what's kind of one player or something that really stands out to you that's been a big surprise through the first month of the season? Yeah, I would say a big surprise for me is from Brandon Carlo. And I say that not because I'm not one of these people who thinks that Brandon Carlo is not good or ineffective. Like there's a lot of people online who really want him to be something that he's not. Uh, but for me, why I'm impressed with him and why I'm surprised is that I feel like he's bringing his playoff intensity to the regular season, which I thought he had a very good postseason last year. It kind of flew under the radar because his pairing partner, Hampus Lindholm, did not have a great uh, postseason, had the broken foot, as we know. Uh, but I feel like Brandon Carlo has really sort of addressed some of the things that people were critical of him about, like his physicality, clearing the front of the net, you know, his willingness to sort of be more aggressive and be a more dominant six foot six skater. I, I feel like you're seeing more of that. And I just feel like he's playing the best hockey he's ever played. And so it's not surprising in the sense that I felt he was good, but this level, mm-hmm. this intensity is, is really impressing and surprising me a little bit here. 
Yeah, it's it's really been great to see for a guy like Hollow who's, you know, had issues with staying healthy or again, I, I think the narrative on him, it does seem like it's hopefully clearing up a little bit that I think for years Carlo was kind of the guy that people looked at his contract, how long he signed him for, what that cap it is, which 4.1 looks pretty good right now, uh, and it's going to get even better. Uh, but people, I think, kind of took him to task of painting him to be a player that he's not, right, uh, in terms of you want to see more, I don't know, assertiveness, more offensive generation. Like, no, you have to know what Brennan Carlo is as a player, and when he's playing at his best and he's being a shutdown defenseman that can anchor your PK. I mean, I think you've seen it especially this year. It's not to say that I think Brennan Carlo's ever his values ever waned to this team, but – when you're built like the Bruins are, you're going to be protecting a shit ton of one goal leads late. You're going to have a lot of uh, grinding out wins, a lot of, uh, you know, white knuckles uh, sequences are in the PK. That's when a guy like I think Brennan Carlo really shines. But beyond that, I think he has taken a huge step forward this year. And I think Bruins fans are at least starting to appreciate him more. It's almost like I think Charlie Coyle is a guy that people uh, were like, ah, oh, this guy's got to be a 60 point guy. Uh, again, maybe he's going to do that this year, but I think, the last year or so people appreciated like what Coyle brings beyond the stat sheet. I think hopefully you're starting to see a little bit more of that with what Carlo's bringing, because I think you're right that he's playing the best hockey of his career. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, you have to, you have to update your biases and your agendas and how you view certain players. And I do think there's a segment of people who get stuck in 2019, stuck in 2020, 2021, like, and, they, and their their complaints about players are a bit outdated. I think some of the complaints that you will hear about Brandon Carlo this year are a bit outdated. I think that he's done a very good job. And you have to also, you know, if you don't think that he's been very good, you have to watch him every night and see what he's going up against. I mean, both he and Lindholm are getting an absolute brutal assignment every single night, it feels like. You know, I think there's been one exception this year, and it was the Detroit game in Boston where they actually put McAvoy and Grizzlick on Debrinkit and Larkin for the majority of the night. But more often than not, you've seen Lindholm and Carlo get just D-zone start after D-zone start, going against the other team's best players. So, you know, when you look at their numbers, you're like, oh, they should be a plus 15 or whatever. Well, not when you go against those kind of teams and they have those kind of assignments. So I think it makes it really impressive. And that's why with guys like Brandon Carlo and even Charlie Coyle, to your point, I think you have to really watch the games to understand their impact and to see just how difficult an assignment these guys are getting almost every single night. Yeah. And I think it's also one of those things where even if you are like combing through the the film of uh, what Carlo brings, when you look at his assignments, it also, it's easier to spot sequences there, those split second decisions where maybe there's a lapse in coverage or there's a miscue because he's in the D zone the entire time, usually against top six guys. It's like, if you got a really good, like left tackle, and on 25 of the snaps, uh, they, they protect the quarterback. Then you have that one lapse where a guy gets knocked down. And you, get, you give up a sack. It's like, oh, you're there. It's like, well, you got to look at what the assignment is. And if Brennan Carlo right. and Lindholm are getting 10% ozone draws and they're spending most of their time in the D zone stopping uh, Matthews or whoever, like those lapses are going to come. But it could be a whole lot worse. Like they're they're stemming the tide time and time again in terms of what their assignments is. So I do agree with you that, yeah, Carlo has been a, a pleasant surprise. You know, it, it's more of, I think, that he's really kind of rounding into form into what I think the Bruins were hoping he could be and what the Bruins need right now for how uh, the way this roster is built. So, uh, no, that's a good one, Ty, for, for you. Um, for me, I'm going to go JVR. I think that's a guy that you look at the Bruins approach uh, this offseason, the, the money ball Bruins in terms of trying to max out value and, and find guys for affordable deals. 
um, that can fit in areas. Uh, I think JVR has been a home run so far. I mean, 11 points in 14 games. You've seen his uh, skill set really utilized on the uh, on the power play at the net front. How good he's with those kind of split second passes down around the crease that can lead to grade A chances. And so far, he's looked really good with what has probably been your most impactful forward line with Coyle and Trent Frederick. Um, and again, I think it's all within the context of of what the Bruins are looking to get out of JVR and who he's replacing, right? Like, as much as people want to talk about Tyler Bertuzzi, which it does seem like that's kind of quieted down considering what's kind of going on up, up north. Uh, I think JVR has been a home run in terms of, I mean, hell, he could have six points in 14 games and one year of one million would be great. But I think he's really kind of... Uh, impressed so far in these kind of new surroundings he's been a great fit right out of the gate yeah what i like about him too is that he has been you know really effective in terms of just like being with anybody i thought this was the guy that you were going to have to hyper manage in terms of like how you utilize how you utilized him where you utilized him who he played with but he's been as effective with with posternock and and zaka as he has been i mean actually he's been better i would say with coil and frederick which is something that I admittedly didn't see coming just based on how, again, defensive that line was used a year ago. And JVR was not a guy that I thought of his defense. I thought of his, his, yeah. his work around the front of the net, his power play prowess. And, you know, that's kind of where the, I drew the line there, but this guy has been really effective for them. And I, I think it's really interesting. You know, it's kind of like what we talked about, I think in the off season where we were saying, Hey, if Nick Ritchie could put up a career high in goals, on that power play. Why can't JVR, you know, have a, a renaissance kind of year, a bounce back kind of year. And so I think we're kind of seeing that played out. I think what's really impressive though, is, is, you know, what you're alluding to here is like the five on five scoring. He, he, ha he hasn't been a pure specialist. He's been finding ways to impact the game five on five, which is again, something I was a little bit surprised that, you know, or I didn't really necessarily see it coming to this degree that we've seen so far. Yeah, it's almost like you were expecting for what his deal is and what his skill set is. Even if you're just going to manufacture 25 points and most of them on the power play, for what that price value is, you'll take it. But no, he, as you said, he's kind of uh, showing what he can do at 5-on-5 five five play, really meshing well with Coyle and Frederick, which, again, please just keep that line together. Uh, for all the shoveling, just keep that group uh, in place, see how they kind of build some of that chemistry. But no, he, he's been a home run signing so far. Um is there anyone else that kind of sticks out to you, Ty, that's been kind of a, a surprise so far out of the gate? Yeah, I would have to say that Johnny Beecher. And, and and I say this because I admittedly didn't think he'd make the team. I, I yeah. had hopes that he would make a strong push, make things interesting, you know, just give him something to think about. I did not see him making the team out of camp and not only that, sticking with the team and getting better as he comes along here. So, you know, when they go out and they sign Morgan Geeky and they sign Patrick Brown and even they bring in, you know, guys like Jason Megna, right? And guys yeah. like, uh, you know, like, like just guys like that, like that you that you look at and you go, okay, those are fourth line They're centers. Be, yeah. Right. But he outworked them all and he's really planted his flag here and, and he's stuck. And I think that's what's really been impressive to me is that he hasn't faded out of frame after what was a strong preseason. It looks like for a minute there. Like he was going to lose his spot, didn't it? Late in the preseason, yeah. where he was kind of, it was it was a lot more Patrick Brown. You're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? So, yeah, uh, he gets the job. He's keeping the job, and I think he's actually getting uh, a lot better. I, I would say just as a as a reliable kind of presence. You don't have to again, you don't have to manage him. You can throw him out there. He's getting some tough tougher assignments. So to see him stick after what 75, I want to say AHL games, 
Uh, really impressive to me uh, that he's done that. And, you know, hey, it, it's it's he had a delayed start, essentially. He's a first-round pick in 2019. It takes him four years to get here for a multitude of reasons. But he's here now. And I don't think yeah. we're sitting here right now going, oh, he's going back tomorrow. Like, he seems like he's here. And so that that's a great development for the Bruins and a bit of a surprising one, again, just based on some of their offseason moves and who they brought in. For him to outwork those guys, I think is really impressive. Yeah, and I think what's really kind of stood out to me about him, beyond the fact that he's doing the little things to warrant his spot, whether he's being hired on the floor check, he's winning face-offs, which is kind of what elevated him right off the bat in terms of just, you know, getting those tough assignments, but limiting the amount of time he's kind of uh, holding onto the puck in the D zone. I think for Beecher, what's impressive is this is a guy that you look at the the speed, you look at some of that creativity, that shot he had for his goal. Like, you see why he was a first-round pick, why the Bruins even thought that as a third-line center on the USA development team, that he could be a guy that could morph into a top six. I don't think he's that, but I think when you look at his skill set and I think he's accepted how he needs to play and not to overcomplicate his, his overall style of play, to kind of just focus in on, on being just a really strong uh, north-south skater, really strong in the forecheck, and generating offense just that way. Like, I talked to him after the after he scored that goal, and it's like, yeah, that's a great, you know, that's probably the best goal I've scored as a pro, but I know, you know, forcing turnovers behind the net, uh, crashing the net, those things, like, that's how, that's my best avenue towards generating consistent 5-5 five and five offense out of that role. And I think not only the fact that he's been solid, but the fact that we talked going into the season of how good a fourth line of Lucic and Lauko and Beecher could be, he's kind of just had a, a rotating cast of players in that spot. And his like overall approach, his style of play hasn't really waned. So now that you have Lauko back, now that you have Lucic hopefully back within another week or so, um, if Beecher's, you know, staying steady and playing this style of play, um, that at least offers hope that, once those guys get back and healthy and they start generating a little bit more chemistry together, you'll see even more and more returns. Cause I think we both agree that that fourth line when healthy can do a whole lot of damage if they're all really engaged out there. Yeah. I love the idea. You know, we've, we've talked about this before the idea of having two speedsters with a space clearing net front presence, like Lucic, that's how you maximize those three players, you know, collectively and individually. And so I, I, I think that's a great fourth line and don't sleep on a guy, you know, I've been very impressed with Oscar Steen. It's been a small yeah, sample size, sure. I know, but he, I think he's been really good in that fourth line role. And so there's no shortage of competition there between Steen, between Denton Heinen, who I think is is a guy who plays just happening. When he's out there, good things are happening more often than not yep. for the Boston Bruins. So, um, you know, they have a, they have a, a nice surplus here of, of bottom six talent, which I think – Again, for a team like this, built the way they are, it's important because you're gonna you're gonna have to win in a variety of ways. You're gonna face teams that are built differently. You're gonna have teams that are more physical and that teams that are more skilled. So to be able to kind of rotate how you have your fourth line complexion, I think is huge. I think it's huge for the Bruins. So I, I like that part of their game. And I think it all begins though with Johnny Beecher. He is the mm -hmm. nucleus of that fourth line. You know, we're talking about all these guys that have played well. The constant there has been Johnny Beecher at fourth line center. So that's got to remain the case. And hopefully it does. Cause I think, again, he's been a surprisingly strong addition for this team. Yeah. And for me, finally, my last kind of big surprise, I'm going to go with a bit of a cop out, but Charlie Coyle, just because uh, the fact that his offensive game, you know, you're seeing better returns there again. I don't know if he's going to have a hat trick and four point nights. I don't know if he's on, he's going to finish. I think he's on pace right now for 70 points. 
I don't know if he's getting there. I think if you're a Bruins fan, you'll be doing a backfill if he gives you 50, right? Like, it just in terms of his added minutes. But I think what's most encouraging about Coyle is that you're seeing a little bit more of that offensive production that this Bruins team needed when you look at just how many how much offensive talent you lost in the offseason. But he's generating more chances. He's being a little bit more impactful in the offensive zone. But his defensive game, like his bread and butter, what made him such a valuable uh, piece to this team last year, also hasn't waned. Like it's not like he's he's generating more offense, but that's because Jim Montgomery's given him seventy percent ozone starts. Like there's still that right. line with him and Frederick and JVR is still operating as kind of their shutdown line, getting 20-30% ozone starts, a lot of really taxing minutes, still playing a key role on that PK. So it's almost like uh the way that he's been deployed, you, you run that risk of like, all right, we're getting more offense out of him. But the this Bruins team, the way they're built, should never, I think sacrifice kind of their cornerstone stingy defense in order just to get better returns at five and five play. That's a, a losing strategy that you can really kind of, um, that can go downhill in a hurry. You start sacrificing defense for offense. And that hasn't been the case with Coyle so far. Like he's getting those same reps, those same really critical assignments from Jim Montgomery, but he's also producing more down the other end of the ice, which is huge. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and here's a, here's an interesting stat. I think that really speaks to the difference between, Coil his first few years here and Coil this year. Now this is entering the Buffalo game, so it may die tonight. But through 14 games, he has not gone two games in a row without a point. He is finding consistency. He's finding ways to be a constant factor in their in their game. And, and even the Knights where he doesn't have a point, he's winning 70% of his faceoffs. Like he is finding ways to to have an impact on the game every single night. And part of that, again, is just going to his bread and butter. The other part of that is the increased role usage in the power play he's playing power play he didn't play power play at all last year you know and, and mm-hmm. so um but i think that's the thing that i's most that has impressed me the most he's another guy if we do if we were doing three he'd be my third one to be honest with you mm-hmm. um but it's just a consistency it's not going multiple multiple games in a row without a point because i think that's kind of when you know that's when the grumbling about him gets loud right is that he's making over five mil and you're dealing with a four game pointless drought, you know, that's not great. So he's finding a way to, to, to be consistent, to be there every night. And I think that's been a huge boom for this team, honestly. Yeah. So, I mean, we got two veteran stalwarts. we got a rookie centerman and we got a, a free agent pickup signed for a million. So it's been a pretty good mix so far for the Bruins as to why they're at least as of when we're recording 11, one and two, it's not too shabby. Um, all right, before we kind of dive into the second half of our podcast, let's take a brief break. Listen to our uh, friends and sponsors over at FanDuel. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because right now new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use and you can bet on everything from spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. And frankly, that's the best part about FanDuel, that you can bet on anything. You want to bet on how many wins the Patriots are going to have this year? Be my guest. Maybe how many shutouts Jeremy Swayman's going to have this season. Go for it. You can really do it all. So bet now on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and kick off the NFL season with an offer you don't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in Mass., $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at fanduel.com sportsbook. 
Gambling problem? Hope is here. Go to gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. Go to gamesensema.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Ty, I got to tell you, I don't, I don't know if the uh, the FanDuel read on the actual podcast is the same as the one we have on the audio video recording. I'm going to have to change that copy a little bit. I can't have Mac Jones be in my, uh, be in my bets anymore. Might not, might not work out. It's a bad idea. No, it's a bad idea. That's a bad idea. I, uh, I had a couple last night that hit. I was very happy about that. Uh, you know, Islanders to score first against the the Oilers felt like I had to do that. I, I, uh, that Oilers team has been real leaky. They come back to win the game, which also helps uh, you Connor McDavid, anytime goal scorer betters out there. Uh, Mm. I'm not going to name names, but, you know, sometimes uh, you got to take the chance on that. It feels like a good odd, always. I mean, the guy's a freak. The guy's I, a I would think so. Um, but, yeah, no, absolutely. Mac Jones, no. Unless the bet is to get under seven points, then, then that's that's free money, baby, Make every time. Money. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, once again, shout out, to, uh, shout out to FanDuel. All right, Ty. So as we get to the second uh, second part of this podcast, we can't have too much positivity, of course. We got to take a critical uh, lens here. Uh, for you, what has been kind of your biggest disappointment out of the gate for this Bruins team? Jake DeBrusque. I mean, it, it's got to be Jake DeBrusque. And, and, you know, one goal through 13 games uh, entering Tuesday against Buffalo really just hasn't found his groove. And, you know, I understand what he's saying when he says, well, I haven't missed any grade A looks. Okay, well, you got to generate some more then because you, you, you kind of, you know, for this team to go where they want to go, we're just talking about Coyle and JVR and Beecher, this team to get where they need to be at 100%, Jake DeBrus needs to be their third best winger behind Pasternak and Martian. And if he's not going to be, that's a massive problem. It's going to force Don Sweeney and the Bruins to, you know, look at the trade market and maybe pay a price that they really shouldn't be paying this time of year. In my opinion, I don't want to trade a first round pick from the Bruins. You've traded enough of them. You, You need to start replenishing the cupboard a little bit here. Uh, and it's a contract year. So, yeah. you know, it's it's kind of twofold here. I would still sign him personally, but you got to get more than what you got in one goal in 13 games. It's simply not good enough. He's got to be more of an impact player every single night. So, you know, maybe that comes Tuesday in Buffalo, but it has not been a start. You know, he's shooting worse than he was during the pandemic year, which we all yeah. admit was his worst year ever for a multitude of reasons. I mean, this this is this is a tough this is a tough start for him. Yeah, I wonder if you sign him to like a long-term deal right now and he just takes off. I mean, I'm sure it's not helping the fact that beyond the fact that things are regressing in terms of shooting percentage, I think he's shooting 3.4% going into yeah. a Tuesday's game. Uh, it's probably not helping that also he's got that looming big payday like on the horizon that right now it's, you know, we I think people were looking at like Brendan Hagel's contract and now it's like slowly going down a little bit here. Like you wonder how yeah. much uh, getting that clarity with that contract, not to say the Bruins like, need to sign him right now to get him going, but you do wonder how much that is also weighing on him. But I agree. Like, I think he's at least being more noticeable in terms of like, we've had stretches seeing DeBrusque in years past, especially where it's not producing, but you also don't notice him. Like he's moving his feet. He's doing what he can. He's still been a valuable contributor in terms of, I think he's second on the Bruins and even strength ice time for forwards on the PK. I feel like he's due for like a nice shorthanded rush opportunity with a guy like Beecher. Feels like that's coming one of these days. I'm sure DeBrusque would love that to happen. Um, but they, you're right. Like they do need to get him going because when he's rolling and he's contributing and cashing in regularly, it just adds another 
level of, uh, you know, impact to this forward core that you desperately need right now. Yeah. And, you know, you nailed it right there saying that he's doing he's impacting the game in other ways. And that's great. You know, namely on the PK, he's been a he's been a valuable contributor to what is the league's best penalty kill. And I can't sleep on that. But but on this team, mm -hmm. he's he's here to score goals. You know, and he admitted that. He said, I'm a goal scorer. I've been a goal scorer my whole life. So this sucks. And that's kind of where, where they're at. It's like you look at this team, like when they struggle, it's because David Pasternak is not dominating the game five on five, right? Or or Marshan's not having a takeover kind of night. Like I, I think that so that's when you need DeBrus to come along with some goals. Like that, like on nights when those guys are quiet, which are it's gonna happen. It's human, it's human nature. You need your third best, fourth best players to contribute. And that's Jabrusk. That's he's one of those guys. So for, for him to kind of still be looking for his game, you know, approaching Thanksgiving, ugh, that is not what the Bruins ordered this year. Absolutely. Um, so hopefully he, whether it's Buffalo or, or something pretty soon, he starts snapping out of it because you need more steady five and five production there from DeBrusque, no doubt. Um, for me, I'll go. I think mine, again, when your team's 11, one and two, you're trying to scrap the bottom of the barrel a little bit. I'll still go with Lindholm in terms of the offensive production. And I know this is the guy that is, his most important duty is logging heavy minutes a night being uh, a shutdown defenseman. And I don't think it's fair to expect him to be the 50 point guy. He was last year uh, when he was a top five finalist for the Norris. But still, I think when you look at what Jim Montgomery has always preached about generating more offense, a lot of that coming off of the blue line, whether it's there's a little bit more of a shot first mentality, looking for rebounds or tips uh, down low, uh, jumping up to the play when needed. Just want to see a little bit more, assertiveness i would probably say from linton when he has those opportunities in the offensive zone because unlike a guy like a forward or, or what have you like he has the means to i think pull on the rope just a little bit more of the offensive zone so not to say that he's been a bust or people think that you know like we need to talk about hampus linton and what he's doing the bread and butter of his game still there but i think when you're looking at this team that really has to scrap and scrape for consistent five and five scoring ideally you get linton going just a little bit more in the offensive zone yeah, I think that, you know, I, I, I've I got into this over the weekend on Twitter with a lot of people basically saying that, no, he's he's it's a purely defensive kind of role right now. However, I will agree that offensively, you'd like a, you'd like a little bit more. And namely, I feel like where he's taken a step back is his offensive risk taking in terms of shooting the puck right mm -hmm. now through 14 games. He has 19 shots on goal yeah. uh, last year. He had almost 160 shots through 80 games like. He, you know, that's a full shot per game drop off. I feel like his hands are not as quick as they were a year ago in terms of getting that shot off, getting it on goal. Um, I feel like he's not activating nearly as much as he did a year ago in terms of getting down low and opening things up for his line mates uh, or whoever's on the ice with for that matter. Like, and so I think that's kind of, that's something that I am noticing. That is something that I think is real is that the offensive, uh, a, the risk taking be the willingness, you know, is not there like it was a year ago. Now, is that physical? Is that mental? Is that, no, no, I got to play defense. I don't really care about this right now. Like, like there is, I, I, I think there's a number of answers there, you know, like possible answers there, obviously. Um, so I agree that offensively he's got to get going. And I think that's, that's the important distinction that I want to make when I say I'm mm -hmm. disappointed in him is that I think defensively he's given you quite a bit. I just think yeah. offensively you're not getting that 50 point kind of guy that you got a year ago. And I wonder Connor, like, is that, is that unfair to him? 
Like yeah. for us to sit here and, and expect him to put up 50 points in a plus 60 or whatever it was like, is that just, is that just out of the realm of possibility? Yeah. Is it, you know, like I, I, like I do wonder there, but no, if you go back to his first year here, you know, the 10 game, the, the what is a 10 game run or whatever it was, he still produced that was it six points, five, five or six points. Like I believe so. Yeah. So he had the pacing of a 40 point season, you know what yeah. I mean? So like, he's got to get that part of his game going. I just wonder what the holdup is. You know, I wonder if it's if it's physical if, or if it's mental. Like, like I, I'm I'm starting to wonder about him in terms of like why isn't it coming? You know, beyond yeah. just the role and the usage. Yeah, because it's something like that where it's I don't think it's fair for him to be like ah, where's this 55 point season? It's like oh man, he's not being a a top three Norris finalist again. Like I don't know if that's fair to, to weigh that against him, but I think the expectation is really really strong defensive metrics. Obviously, 22, 23 minutes a night. 30, 35, 40 points, I think, is kind of right in his wheelhouse, which gives you a pretty damn good defenseman, especially if he's kind of the number two guy there. So we'll see how he kind of builds off of that, hopefully starts generating a little bit more offense there. Also, maybe having a few guys that are better at finishing plays might help him out a little bit there. So, again, that's why a guy like DeBrus getting him going could help a little bit in terms of getting other guys involved there, even if it's maybe a few more secondary helpers for Lindholm. So. Yeah, I mean, could he get could he get on the power play? Like, is that something that we could maybe consider with him? Like, could he get on the power play? Because I feel like that would help him quite a bit. Yes, absolutely. So it's definitely something worth keeping tabs on there for Lindholm in terms of again, I think he's been really, really strong, but just need a little bit more offensively just to get I think the rest of the team going as well. Um, All right, Ty, to end this podcast, one last question: Who's an unsung hero you think that's been on this Bruins team so far out of the gate? It's a great question. Uh, I am probably, I, this is so hard. You know what? I'm going to say, I'm going to say Joe Sacco. And that sounds so weird. The way that they've had to, to tweak things defensively, I think to, to be in games, to win games, to close out games, to know the vibe of when to sit somebody or when to give them more rope. Mm -hmm. I think it's been so crucial. They've had so many white knuckle finishes here. And I think it's really come down to riding the right guys in the right moments. And so I think that comes down to Sacco, who's running the defense this year. Um, I, I think his his eye for when to, again, when to let guys go and, and when not to has been really kind of huge for this team because, again, like they're not as talented as they were a year ago, right? And it's easy to look at the goaltending and, you know, kind of how they performed. But I think defensively, the PK work um, that they've put forth, the the mixing and the matching they've had to do because of Forbert, because of Grizzlick, because of McAvoy. Like, it, it's required a lot of movement, I, I think, from Joe Sacco. So I have to give him credit. It's a non-player. I know it might be a bit of a cop-out, but I just think with the, with the PK work and the defensive shuffling, he's had to work some serious magic with this group, and I think he has so far. Yeah, no, that's that's a great pick because again, you can look at all the different uh, moving parts up front, the roster turnover, and I think people take it for granted. But it also has to be on the coaches to adjust with what you have, right? Like this is a team that's bread and butter has been kind of strong defensive game, uh, building from the net out. But also, you have to tweak some of those things to to work with what you got. And this was a, an entire off season of turnover for this team. So uh, I think that's a great pick, uh, Joe Sacco, and just the whole coaching staff of how they've kind of adjusted their overall approach to get the most out of this, wouldn't call them ragtag, but it is a overhaul, definitely up front team that has to kind of change their approach a little bit to uh, get out to this really, really strong start to the year. 
Um, for me, I'm going to go a guy who's currently injured right now, but I think every time I see him out there, I think he's doing the little things to help out the team. I'm a big Morgan Geeky guy. I'm leading the Geek Squad. I, I think he's a guy that uh, whatever his role is, whether especially I think with uh, Matt Potra, I think you saw a lot of really good chemistry there. Um, I think he just uh, makes a simple, smart plays that I think falls in line with what you're looking for out of this team. Um, I was surprised to see that. I think he's leading the Bruins in high danger chances. Uh, per 60 That's minutes. Like, That's wild. Yeah. yeah. So uh, again, he, but I always feel like when you really notice him, it's either along the board or it's especially like behind the net. That guy's always, even though he's, he is six, three, but he's not the biggest guy. He always seems to be like holding on to pucks. Uh, always seems to like generate a, a good look or a, a great, a, uh, setup feed off of like a backhand pass, what have you. Like he's pretty crafty and strong on his skates in those spots. And I think whether it's with a guy like Patra, like I wouldn't be, I'd be intrigued. It stinks that he's hurt, but like a DeBrusque, Potra, geeky line, like what that could do if you want to keep them together. Um, I think just his versatility, the way he, I think, fits in with what this team's looking to build. Uh, hopefully he's back pretty soon because, again, I don't know if this is a guy that people were expecting was going to have a 40-point season just off of the fact he was getting more reps than he had with Seattle. Again, it helps when you have Daniel Sprong on his line in Seattle, who was shooting, I think, 45% last year or something like that. It was some unsustainable thing. So I think that was a bit of a reach, but I think for what you have in terms of his versatility, his ability to impact the game and how I think he meshes with what the Bruins are looking to achieve in terms of their approach in the offensive zone. I, I really like what Geeky's brought so far. That's a great pick. I think that again, an unheralded kind of signing in terms of, uh, I think he's one of these guys that sounds so weird. I know. That his name works against him. You spend yes. two million on a guy named Geeky, and everyone's like, "What? Yes. What, what, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? You got you signed a geek for two million. You don't need to do that." So I think there's a little bit of that, but uh, but no, he's really effective. And you know, I kind of said this over the summer. Uh, I'm not sure if I said it on here before or not, but like, I looked at Morgan Geeky as like the Riley Nash 2.0 of the Bruins, where it's like one. it's a low money. You look at the underlying metrics, and you're like, "Ooh, you might have something here. You might have a guy who can move up and down." And I think what's huge for, for Geeky has been the connection with Patra. I mean, really making life easier for the 19-year-old stepping into the NHL. Um, and it's kind of interesting that I don't know if Patra has been as loud without Geeky. You know, yeah. like I, I, I just – I wonder about that. And so, um, you know, that that's – it's been a value add in that respect – in that respect alone. You know, it's just helping your top prospect essentially, you know, your top pro prospect now um, – get settled in. And I think that that goes a long way. So that's a great pick. Yeah. So hopefully he gets back healthy along with a couple other Bruins. Obviously we didn't talk about Lucic, who I thought was really, very strong through the first four games in terms of what uh, he could offer. And it's more of a fourth line role. A lot of guys banged up on this team that is still 11, one and two as of recording. Uh, so a lot of really positive things to draw from this team so far. And we'll see how they do tonight against uh, the Sabres. I'm sure we'll break that down in, in the days and weeks ahead, but uh, Ty, before we let you go, anything you'd like to plug? Uh, I mean, not plug per se. Just uh, I'm online. Uh, I'm, I'm I, I deleted Twitter Extremely off my phone online. for a little while. So, uh, uh, but yeah, I'm on Twitter slash X at underscore Ty Anderson. I'm um, also I have a Facebook page, Ty Anderson. If you can find that, I'm on there. Um, uh, yeah, and then 98thousandsportsup.com. That's where you can read all my work. So, so yeah, so. I deleted Twitter off the phone for a little while. I just wanted a little break from it. So was it was uh, it freeing? Was it great to not have people tweet about like Mason Lorai and Lena? Yeah, a little bit for for a bunch of like candy corn to Edmonton. 
Yeah, no, it's great. Um, it's definitely, it's definitely like, it, it's good to do that every now and then because I don't think, I don't think human beings should be exposed to everyone's opinion about them twenty four hours a day. I think, I think it's just, it should be harder to contact people than it is, yes. right? And so, I think that's kind of how I felt. So, uh, nice little shutting off for a little bit and just touching grass. If I can find some out there, we'll see. Exactly. Bring back the carrier pigeon. That's how you should reach someone now is bring back mm -hmm. the, the World War One carrier pigeon. So, yes. Uh, yes. And obviously you can read any of my stuff over Boston.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, X, whatever the hell it's called, you can do that at Connor Ryan underscore 93. So this has been uh, the latest episode of Poke the Bear podcast. Uh, once again, I am Connor Ryan. That is Ty Anderson. You guys have a great rest of your week.